Scripture reading is found in um, John 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Amen. Uh, Elder Kaler has our sermon for today, and we're happy he's here. Uh, last week I talked about um, love, and I'm going to talk more about love today. And, and you'll see the reason why. It's really important to me that we understand what this is all about. The power of love. We are designed to be lovers. So we can understand a little bit about God just simply by the way he designed us as well. Love is a distinguishing mark of Christianity. Unlike other religions, love is the dominant principle in all areas of Christian life and dogma. Only when love regains its central place in the heart of Christianity will Christ's church regain its power and God will be glorified. I want that to sink in. God has been waiting for a long, long time for us to master in the subject that we've done very little about, love. Um, we have mastered a lot of other things. We've been superb as far as the operation of the church and the ministration of the church and a lot of things, the mission of the church and the doctrine of the church, all those things. But only when love regains its central place, and it's not there. It's not there. Will Christianity gain what God is wanting for the church? As Christians, we must question all behavior and teaching that violates love or doesn't spring from love. Central teaching of churches, Lutherans, uh, these are people who are known for their hold, hard, hard-held stand to righteousness by faith, of course, uh, that their founder, Martin Luther, brought forth. And so if you think of Lutherans, you're going to think of righteousness by faith. If you think of Catholics, they believe that they are the mother church and that all churches came from them. They are the central heart of the, all of Christianity. The Baptists, well, they will fight wars over religious uh, freedom. <laughs> you know. And if they don't feel free to do as they wish, they are going to establish another Baptist church that's free to do what they wish and so on and so forth. Baptists have a fierce uh, loyalty. And so they're known for this. Pentecostals, what are they known for? Yeah, you just think of that as soon as you think about the um, Pentecostals. Presbyterians, sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all and he makes the decisions and, and his will is sovereign and uh, you think of that with the Presbyterians. And so these are what central things that churches believe and stand for. What does Seventh-day Adventist Church believe and stand for? Is love the most prominent feature of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I mean, if you look at our own little church here in, in, in Fort Bragg, um, uh, when you think of this church, does this word love, is it the most biggest thing that comes into your mind? Now, it may be. That may be. I'm not sure. But is that what the community first thinks of when they think about this church? Or do they think about the fact that we worship on Saturday? Is that what we're most famous for? It seems to me that if Jesus were to have his request fulfilled, he would want his remnant to be known for love. Our denomination around the world, when people think of Seventh-day Adventists wherever they go around the world, is this what they think of? Love? 
Or do they think of an amazing structure that has tremendous amount of health interests and educational interests and publishing interests and mission interests and things like that, all wonderful things. But somehow, I think our churches struggle to get love at the very heart of what is really there. We may profess it, we may state it, but in reality, we struggle with that. Our educational institutions, you, you perhaps know and I know that about half of our children that go through our educational institutions leave the church not if love was the main thing that they found there. It just would not happen. So there's something missing there. Now I do, I do know that in a lot of these educational institutions, I know the teachers, I know the staff, and I know they're loving people. But somehow or another, uh, this love is not as strong as it needs to be. And I'm not saying this as a downer on anything. I'm just pointing out what I think is something that is kind of, um, it needs an awful lot more emphasis and it needs to be more at the heart. Is love in our doctrines? I, I meant to do this, but you know, if you go down through the 28 beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church hold for account how many times you find the word love expressed, you will find it. But you know what? If we don't have love at the heart of every one of those beliefs, we don't understand that belief properly. Because God is He's love. And so if we don't understand the state of the dead in the context of love, we don't understand the state of the dead. If we don't understand righteous by faith in the context of love, we don't understand righteous by faith. Because God is love. You see where I'm going here? So I think there's work that needs to be done. And I think that before the Lord comes back, I think this is where he would like to have us put a lot of our emphasis. What about our families? Um, you know, I, I know that Seventh-day Adventists are, are, are loving people. I do know that. And, uh, and I try to be a loving person as well. But do my children see love? I mean, do they see it strong enough? Do they see it ever present enough? Do they see it as the most important core of who I am? When they think about me, do they think about love? Do my grandchildren? Yes, they do. When they see G, they think of love. <laughs> they do. But I didn't get that as strongly through to my children. I was just too consumed in the responsibility of raising those children. But I'm glad that they've got their parents now and all I have to do is love. And I didn't know how to love when I was their dad. I'm just learning now. I hope you're following me in this and understanding where I'm going. Is this the most obvious thing our community thinks of when they think of us, Seventh-day Adventist Church? Love is the most glaring missing element from our church practice and teaching. It's given, uh, given the centrality of love in the Bible, it is strangely peculiar to have it so missing from both God's church and its teaching. I am not trying to put down our church or any of our institutions. What I am wanting is to, us to understand, me to understand, all of us to understand and appreciate. There are some real challenges here that we need to focus on to get love more center, more elevated in all that we do. Love is the gospel. You know, we can tell, talk to people and prove the truths of our doctrine very, very well. You can go to a Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic meeting, it's really hard not to be convinced, right? I mean, if you've got logic, you're going to believe, right? But what we need to do is we need to somehow, the power of love is more powerful than logic. It can go right to the heart and transform people. 
And this is where we need to go. So it's kind of like Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I just want to ask all those questions that I asked earlier about Jesus. When people saw Jesus, when they heard him preach, when they saw his life, what was the first thing they thought about? Love. What brought people to Jesus? Was it his teachings or was it his love? What transformed the Christian church? Was it the teachings or the love? They tell us very plainly in the early writings of early history, it was the love of the early church that transformed the world. You see, you know, you can have the teachings right, and if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Now, we know this, but we have to become more skillful and more uh, um, uh, uh, intelligent and practicing in love. Christ's favorite theme, I love this passage here, volume 6, the testimony is also found in Testimonies to Ministers. You can see the references there. You may want to jot these down. Christ's favorite theme was the paternal character and the abundant love of God. If he had a chance to talk about anything, he was going to talk about that. I, this, this last week, I get a chance to do something I really enjoy doing. I, I teach students at P, PUC, well, they're not at PUC, but they're, they're students of PUC at Travis Air Force Base. And I had a room full of, of people, and I get a chance just to talk to them about God. And everything that I tell them about God is an opportunity for me to try to say about this God what he is, who he is, and how loving he is. And one of the things that we did this last week, it was the first class in this section that I'm teaching, and I asked each one of the students to tell me a little bit about themselves, their own religious history. And it was so sad to hear that at least a third of the students, these are grown people, these are like um, military age, um, and, and they, they were at the class to try to get an RN you know, certificate training, and um, about a third of them said their heart was broken by the church. Just broken by the church. Because the church was emphasizing something other than love. And it just drove them away. And where do they go when they're driven out of their church? And so love was Jesus' favorite theme. He talks about the paternal love of God. And he ran straight across just a, 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 a fierce wind of resistance from the Pharisees who had no idea about love. They had only idea about teachings. And boy, did he get nailed because of the Pharisees. But this church needs to go in the direction of love. This, was, this knowledge of God was Christ, listen to this, own gift. He came from heaven not just to pay the price. He came from heaven to give us the gift of God's love. Bringing that, a special gift. The most precious thing that heaven has to offer. Ellen White says in another place, she says, that God scoured all of the universe for the best that he could give to mankind. It's his love. It's his love. Imagine what it would be like not having a loving God. Wow. This gift, he has committed to his people to be communicated by them to the world. The deep love of God alone will sustain the soul. We have to be good at this. We have to be it for our own self. We have to be it for our spouses and for our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. They have to be able to sense that there's an expert on love 
Not because they know a lot about love, but because they've experienced a whole lot of love and they know how to give it and share it. Very important. The Old Testament writers have the very same theme. I have loved you with a what? Everlasting. It just can never be exhausted. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. Do you like that song? In his love and in his pity. Anyway. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. I just don't, Isn't that wonderful? Isaiah 63. I drew them with cords of a man, with cords of love. Hosea. Steadfast love is the most common descriptor of God's nature. Steadfast love. So Jesus loved to talk about it. He came to give us this gift. And it's the whole theme of the Old Testament. Can you believe that? The whole theme of the Old Testament? How come we have such a negative idea about the Old Testament? It's the whole theme. John the Apostle. You know, I picked that picture out. Do you like that picture of John? I don't remember who painted that, but I kind of like that one. It seems to be it captures what I think John might have looked like. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. John also said, God is love. And he said, we love him because he first loved us. You know why? Because that love came from him to us, transforms us, and we love everybody, including him. It enables us to love. Christians around the entire world have the most reason to be loving because they've been loved and they understand it. And as a result of that, the first thing that should come out of our hearts, the most visible thing, the, most, the first thing that people should feel is that love. And they will be drawn. If I be lifted up, I will draw. How is he going to draw? Through us. Draw all men to him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The Apostle Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is this fabulous thing that you read it, it's read at weddings, you know, the love chapter. The greatest of all those things, faith and hope and all the other things, is what? Without love, we are what? Yes. Love is greater than faith, greater than hope. Uh, without it, we are nothing. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Jesus. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. He seems to want to get that through to us, doesn't he? In every way he can say it. You love God. Because <laughs> if you love God, let me tell you why that's so important. If you love God, the word love means you've opened your heart. If you love God, it means that you've let yourself be completely available accessible, pliable, clay. It's like Isaac on Abraham's altar. You've let that happen. When that happens, the love can just flood through you. It doesn't have to meet a wall. It just pours through you, gushes through you. And the second is like it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and there is none other commandment greater than these. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have one, Love. The law and the prophets rest on these two commands. Now you're going to get a chance to see, Yeah, you're going to get a chance to see the object of this old man's love. Wow. Children are sensing machines. 
They know before they understand the meaning of words what love is all about. They seem to have learned that really early on. They know who we are without ever asking us. They can feel it. They know what it means to be accepted because they can feel it. And all the really important things in life, they know before there are words. You know that's true, don't you? They know by just the way you hold them, the way you look at them, the way you touch them, the way you smile at them. They have the ability, oh, let me tell you something. On the way over, Carl's dog, Chewy, was riding with us. And Chewy doesn't know much English, does he? Does she? He or she? Chewy does not know much English. But he got right up next to me and he knew all about me. Like a child, animals know. They don't need words, they know. And how do they know? By something more important and more valuable than words. What is it called? Feelings, emotions, the bigger part of the brain. They know. God made us that way, why do you think? Why do we insist upon running our lives by a different part of our brain when he has said that the heart of the gospel is something called emotion, love. And the bigger part of the brain, and the first part of the brain, which is foundational, means it governs everything that comes after, is emotion, love. Are you with me, folks? This is extremely important. Children are there. They know whether or not they're safe or not, and they just... Uh, happily, I'm not bragging about myself because this was a difficult t thing for me to do to learn how to be loving. I had to die to learn how to love. And, but these, these little rascals here, when they come to the house, they want to get not right near me, by me because they, they know that I love them completely. And um, the parent's love provides a secure platform for the baby to do well in life, to be unafraid, to develop trust. These are spiritual things. To be curious, to be unafraid of the unknown. That's a spiritual thing. To be able to just go right off. And that's why Ellen White talks about how to raise children. You should give them a lot of free time alone to explore because they have this spiritual ability to go without thinking in the terms of words, but to know God just from their hearts. And as they're walking out in nature and as they're playing, just to commune with God. Children are that way. To explore, to seek out, even in the midst of deep loss. Children are born with that ability, and that's spirituality. Look at these two rascals. Those are my two oldest ones. They're older than that now. Okay, now you meet Elena. Love, not just a word, it's a feeling. And within feelings are encapsulated our values, our deepest values, the things that we hold most dear. Things that determine how we think and feel, perceive and act, how long we live and what illnesses we will suffer from, how much we will love later on in life, all are attached to feelings, to a thing called love. I want this to sink in. Because we must learn to love. We must learn to get out of our cognitive state once in a while. And get down into that area where God says, you must become like your Father in heaven, who is love. You must love me there at that spot. 
that spot that governs everything else in our life and all things in our life. The thing that is becomes instinctual, becomes our first response. It's a part of who we are. And unless God owns that, he does not own us. The gospel is learning how to love. And they're learning how to teach love. So all of these things, how we think, how we feel all throughout life, is determined about whether or not we were really loved when we were a child. What we perceive and the way we act depends upon the way we were loved as children. It'll put a, a bent all the rest of our life just simply by a feeling. Love determines how all the rest of our life is going to be. It determines how long we live, the illness, how much love we will be able to bear throughout our life. Love gives our brain hormones that inhibit pain. They give us a feeling of satisfaction, builds a strong prefrontal cortex to integrate internal and external input. All of those things which are so important to us are all controlled by love. Whether or not we are loved determines how well that part of our brain functions. Love controls the development of each one of us. And if we are not loved, things start shutting down. And they do not work very well. We don't feel full and satisfied, so we develop cravings. And we, we addictions, things like that. Um, we are always in a sense of pain anxiety, and so we're treating that all of our life because we haven't been loved. Um, our frontal cortex, which we really almost worship in uh, right, excuse me, left brain churches, <laughs> um, the frontal cortex cannot properly function without the foundation of love. It gives the brain the peace that it needs to function properly. It gives the brain the ability to sort rather than to just react, to do all the things it's designed to do. It's all dependent upon love. God made us that way. We have to come back to it. It's the foundation for our smarts and the ability for normal, loving reactions. If children do not get love, they are damaged for life. They can't even think straight. We are in, in, uh, in Willits looking at a situation of trying to reach the young people in our town, and we realize that most of them are just on to drugs all the time. Imagine that. They're not even adults, and they're stuck into drugs all their life. Before they get a chance to figure out who they are, to discover who they are, to find their potential, which they probably never will discover, they're trapped. Why? Because somehow they never got the message about love. Love controls everything else. Without it, it's bad news. With it, it's wonderful news. Love means... Do I have to click this one? I'm gonna, okay, here we go. Fulfilling the basic needs in others. For, ch for parents and with children, it means proper nutrition and sleep and care and freedom from drugs, all of those things. If you have those things, then love can actually thrive. 
If you don't, it's going to suffer. Also, giving a lot of hugs and eye contact. Children, just by looking in your eyes, know whether you love them or not, just like an animal does. And that's what they need to see. We're going to have an evangelistic campaign. We're going to invite people in the community, and they're going to be looking into our eyes. And what do we hope they see? Love. If they see love, they don't care about how much we know. If they see love, then they will be interested in learning. They'll figure it's a safe place. They can stay around. They can trust us. Affection. Sympathy. Giving them all of those things to children. Giving these things to each other. All of these things. Giving these things to our neighbors. Affection. Sympathy. All of those things is interpreted to love. It lays the foundation in the entire physiology of the entire body to be able to thrive and do well. And we cannot think we're going to have any success in evangelizing a society that's going so bad so fast without love. Oh my. This one here. This one here is the first of the grandchildren. She just had her 10th birthday. And uh, she and I are like one. Always will be. You haven't seen my Cougar convertible, have you? I don't drive it out of the garage very often. She owns half that car. When I don't own it anymore, she owns it. You know, we are just one. When she comes to the house, we always hug each other for a long, long time. She knows I love her. Love makes two people into one. Enables us to fulfill our potential. Makes us lovers. My, these kids have taught me how to love. Draws people to us. It's our identity. No wonder Jesus said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Love comes from God. And everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Love is the acid test. More than doctrine. You know, we try to prove who we are by the doctrines, you know, and that we are the righteous. No. Jesus is going to come back and see who can really love. What happened? Close it. I'm looking for the arrow. Ready, set, shoot. It's gone. Okay. You see what she, look at her face. You see what that's telling you? Look at my face. That's telling us about love. Now, I'm not the expert on love. I've just been very happy that I'm learning in this school and I think thriving in it. When she was young, that's what she looked like. I'll talk to you about love deprivation. It leaves us feeling disturbed, unsatisfied with love. And when you're disturbed and unsatisfied, you have a hard time moving forward at all. You are just locked shut because you can't get past this being disturbed and unsatisfied. You know, you don't care if you live or die if you don't have love because we can't feel the life we are living. We have to have feeling. God, why did God design us the way he did? That love is at the core. And then outside that core is doctrine. It doesn't mean it's outside love, but love is at the heart. It's the foundation. It's the core. We can't feel. Doctrine doesn't satisfy. Love is the only thing that can satisfy. Once you 
have love, then you're going to see how those doctrines are the best indications that keep love going. Doctrines are important for that. Unable to feel at ease with ourselves if we don't have love. And so we're always restless. We feel inner pain. And these things secrete hormones that make it all the worse for us and make it hard for us to grow. They basically shut us down and we start dying. We are stressed because we're always so vigilant because it's only when you are loved can you feel at peace and relax. And then you could grow. Depleted and unbalanced hormones. We're worn out from chronic inner conflict. We feel hopeless. We are scattered, unfocused, can't think. We don't even know why. All because no love. Love is absolutely essential. A God of love created us the way we are because he wants us to be lovers at heart. We absolutely have to have it. Children crave for it. If they don't get it, they shut down. There's a lot of kids shut down. Now this is my dear sweet wife. She's the one in yellow. Okay. She... uh, she is holding Catherine, our uh, Tammy's uh, second. Love, power of love is most critical in child. Nothing in adulthood can radically alter the trauma or lack of love of lack of love in childhood. That trauma or lack of love shuts down options for the child, shuts down their feelings, creating negative memories. And once you've got negative memories, they haunt you for the rest of your life and, sh- and control whatever else is trying to happen in your body, those negative memories. Pre-stresses the nervous system, poorly developed nerve cells because the brain just cannot thrive, it cannot develop without love. Long-term bad conditioning uh, has its consequences. Love is not indulgence. I grew up by parents who felt that that was the law, that if you indulged a child, if you loved a child, you're going to spoil the child. Any of you grow up that way? Was I the only one? I heard one other person. My parents believed that with all their heart. Oh, it was a bad mistake. Love is fulfilling a need that God puts there to be loved. Really important. When you get it, things work well. Did you see Catherine in her grandmother's arms? Well, there she is again. Catherine spent her early years like this. Tammy thought, what's wrong with my girl? This expression and just wails over anything, you know. So we spent several years, you know, trying to do this. Now we are not, this is not our home with all that wine bottles back there. I think we were in the Olive Garden, you know, having supper. And she was telling us how she was feeling. I want to tell you that love is not an idea. It's a feeling and it comes just out of a child spontaneously. Feelings are feelings. Ideas and feelings reside in two different portions of the brain, completely separate. Feelings must be felt, including the hurt that's blocking them. We cannot talk our way out of feelings. We feel our way out of feelings. We've got to go to the feeling. The part of the brain that's logic can't fix the part that's feeling. Once you go to the feeling part and explore it and deal with it, then the conscience awareness can strip the unconscious part of the brain out of its power to control. Only ideas rising out of feelings can rewrite feelings. 
Well, we had a, quite a job to do with Catherine on that, but she's getting much better. When the trauma occurred, uh, determines where the memory is recorded. And so, you know, you know that in a child that is, is, is growing, the first part of the brain that is developed is the lower part of the brain, brain stem, and then later on you get the upper brain with the hemispheres and the inner brain. The deeper memories are always trying to inform the conscious awareness, the upper parts of the brain, of things that the upper part of the brain doesn't want to know anything at all about. It just rejects them. It locks us into some kind of a conflict in our heads. This upper brain, the cortex, is too occupied with trying to get love. It doesn't have time to listen to the cries from below. Kind of like me once in the early part of my life, where I didn't want to hear any problems from my kids, my wife, anybody. I blocked it completely out because I wasn't able to deal with it. Now it's different. Look at Elena, look at me. You see that? Isn't that amazing? She knows more about me than I know about myself when she looks like that. Here she is again. Feeling unloved. Nothing is quite as infinite as self-deception. So if we're feeling unloved, <clears throat> if a child feels that way, they will do all they can to somehow deceive themselves that of all things, it's certainly not that they're unlovable. They can't bear that thought. So they will invent all kinds of reasons in their brain. They shield their heart from the belief that maybe their parents cannot love them or the parents do not care for them, or the parents are not interested in them, because if they believe that, what have they got left? There's nothing. And so a child will deceive themselves into some other reason. A child needs for love, cannot allow that, so that for survival, they keep seeking their love elsewhere, in all kinds of artificial approaches. Love makes us resilient to peer pressure. Oh, how important that is today. It makes us resilient to drugs because we're satisfied. It makes us resilient to depression because we know that God is in us and there's joy with God. He brings joy. He brings happiness. He brings all the fruits of the Spirit. Bringing peace that allows love to take root. Love is more than chemicals. Love creates a mixture of things necessary that make life successful. It gives you wonderful memories. It gives you a sense of contentedness so you can grow. It gives you a sense of freedom. It gives you all of these things and it gives them to you at the core of yourself and so you know you are all right. This is my youngest grandchild. Her name is Noelle. She is Natalie, my oldest grandchild's little sister and she is an empathetic person. When, uh, when, when Noelle looks at you she knows instantly who you are. She's going to be some kind of a therapist, I think. She just knows that. She's amazing. Here they all count. No, one's missing. Elena's not there. And, you know, my grandson, who was supposed to be here today, not here because we had a couple of problems in the scheduling, I've got a funeral this afternoon and he couldn't get away on Friday when I needed to get away. So it didn't work out. We're still going to do it. Uh, he's just making that face, not because of me, but because he's only got a bunch of girls around him. 
<laughs> so, but there we are, sitting together, and uh, I am so happy that God gave me an opportunity. If I didn't learn how to love my wife early enough in life, I'm loving my grandchildren. And I, it's, as you know, it's changed my whole approach about the way I do ministry. I try to go from love, knowing how important it is. We're getting an opportunity to do that in a little while. And look at these kids. This is the one that they always come to because it's the one that really knows how important it is to love. I didn't get love. I know how it hurts. And I know now that my role in life is to love these kids so that they can be happy in their life. I think there was one more slide. What happened? Here it goes. I like this quote. Let's look at it together. This is our last slide. Through yielding to sin, man placed his will under the control of Satan. We understand that. He became a helpless captive in the tempter's power. We understand that. We know how helpless we are in sin. But God sent his son into our world to break the power of Satan. Pay attention to how he broke it. And to emancipate the will of man. He sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. How do you get man out of the trap he's in? By pouring the whole treasury of heaven into this world, by giving us in Christ all heaven, God has purchased, he purchased the will, the affections, the mind, the soul of every human being. When man places himself under the control of God, he will, his will becomes firm and strong to do right. The heart is cleansed from selfishness and filled with Christ-like love. I want to tell you, it's not logic. It's love that lays that foundation and gets all of those victories. You know that's true. Look what happens when you fall in love with your spouse. What kind of changes come over you when that happens? Look when you see a little baby, you know, and you've got so much to do in your life and it's so busy, but somebody brings you this little baby and says, here's your grandchild or your own child. I don't have time for that. No. <laughs> you don't say that. Something called love just swarms your soul. You know, and that's what happens. God gives us love and it changes everything inside us. Turns us completely around. We have got it wrong if we think we convince people to become Christians. Love transforms people into Christians. The mind yields to the authority of what? Law of love. We have bounced about that one. We say, well, the law of love is Ten Commandments. Well, yes. But it's much more basic than that. There's a law of love that came from Jesus who came and left heaven. His love did that. His love put him on the cross. His love transforms the world. That's the love that we need. The mind yields to the authority of the law of love. And every thought is brought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. When love is there. Love prepares for the way for obedience. When the will is placed on the Lord's side, the Holy Spirit takes that will and makes it one with the divine will. 
OHC is our high calling. It's a devotional book that is filled with wonderful quotes like that. Well, I wanted to tell you this because I, it's taken me a long time to understand how this all works. And um, you understand from what I said today, what I said last week, where I am at. So when we do things, whatever we're doing, no matter what we're doing, at the market, I was with my mechanic this last week. I want my mechanic to know that I love him. I want the person that does the brake and light inspection on my car. I even want the patrolman to know that I love him. I want the neighbor across the street to know that I love him. You know, and I want my enemies to know that I love them. These are challenges. But if we can't do that, there's no part of God in us. That's what God is all about. When that happens, everything else is possible. Lays the foundation for everything. So, let's, uh, that gives us something to think about. Lord, we're so grateful that you have offered all of the treasure of heaven in the gift that you have given to us. We're so grateful that for the love that comes so freely and abundantly from your heart to ours. And what it can do and how it can change us and change everything about us and make all things work well. This is the foundation. This is the core of our being. Please go into the hearts of each one here today and sort out our hearts. And if we have a greater need for love, open up our hearts to you so that your love can come in. And let us rebuild our lives upon the foundation of love every day. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for the changes that you are making in our lives each day. Bless us as we go our various places and thank you for continuing to remember our prayer requests all through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.